thank you so much for joining the podcast today and I apologize for not posting regularly. I'm still trying to get used to this podcast thing. Um, so today, uh, the story, uh, a few years ago I came across a 10-minute snippet of this story and I couldn't believe that it actually happened. So, And when I researched it, I just went down this whole rabbit hole and the more I researched, the more horrific the story became. Uh, so before we start, I just want to give a disclaimer and say listener discretion is advised. This story contains um, details of child abuse and sometimes graphic detail. I will only use the first name of the victims uh, so I don't further victimize them or their families. Sylvia was born on January 3rd, 1949. She was the third child of Lester and Elizabeth. Lester and Elizabeth were concessions at carnivals and often brought all of the children with them on the carnival circuits. Sylvia had four siblings, an older set of twins, Diana and Daniel, and a younger set of twins, Jenny and Benny. Sylvia had wavy brown hair that fell just past her shoulders and a bright smile despite missing a front tooth due to an accident she had with her brother. She loved roller skating and the Beatles. Her family called her Cookie as a nickname. Sylvia cared for her younger sister Jenny who had a leg injury due to polio. Sylvia enjoyed spending her babysitting money on trips to the roller rink with Jenny. Sylvia would fasten one of her skates to Jenny's sturdy foot and held her hand so Jenny could skate with her. And Sylvia also would show Jenny's friends how to connect the skates so Jenny could skate with her friends as well. In 1965, when Sylvia was 16, she met Paula and Stephanie Benazuski at high school. On June 3rd of 1965, Sylvia's mother was arrested for shoplifting. Lester was going to work on the carnivals, but with his wife in jail, he decided taking the younger girls with him would be too much work and that he would only take the boys with him this time. Since Sylvia and the Benazuski girls got along, Lester decided to send Sylvia and Jenny to live with Paula and Stephanie's mother, Gertrude. He agreed to pay them, uh, pay Gertrude $20 a week, which is around $165 in today's money, and that would be for their board and care. Gertrude promised to care for the girls as if they were her own. So there wasn't a whole lot of information on Gertrude, but this is what I found. Gertrude was born on September 19th, 1928. She married John Stefan Benazuski when she was 16 years old. The couple had four children together. John became physically violent and after 10 years together, she divorced him. Weeks later, 
she married a man named Edward, but he too turned out to be abusive and they divorced within months. Gertrude remained or remarried her first husband, John. They had two more children, but divorced a second time because again, he became abusive. Gertrude then met 22-year-old Dennis Lee, and they had one son together in 1965. Dennis abandoned Gertrude and the baby. She filed a paternity suit against him, but never saw a penny. Gertrude was a chain-smoking single mom of seven children and was basically living in squalor. Uh, She was pregnant for the 13th time, but had a miscarriage. This would be her sixth miscarriage. She was tired and she was only 31 years old, but looked twice her age. To add to her already full plate, her 17-year-old daughter was pregnant by a married man and soon there would be another mouth to feed. Initially, the family treated Sylvia and Jenny very well. The girls spent time singing popular songs of the time and talking about boys. Gertrude's home was kind the kind of place where children and teenagers from the neighborhood would come and go as they pleased. They could get away with things that their parents wouldn't normally let them do, like smoke and drink, uh, have raunchy sex talk, and Gertrude would be right there, and sometimes she would, you know, smoke and drink with them. Sylvia and Jenny shared a bedroom with 11-year-old Marie, 10-year-old Shirley, and 8-year-old Jimmy. So that's five people in one bedroom. The room had one mattress on the floor that they would take turns sleeping on. The house had a hot plate where a stove should have been, and Gertrude really was in no position to take in any more children. Gertrude was suffering for money. Without the weekly payment from Lester, she would have no way to feed all nine children and still pay her monthly rent of $55, which would be $450 in today's money. When the payments arrived arrived late or not at all, she would become enraged. After the first late payment, she dragged Jenny up the stairs and whipped her with a leather belt, saying, I took care of you for a whole week for nothing. Lester's payment arrived in the mail the next day. When Gertrude learned that Sylvia was recycling pop bottles for cash to give as payment for her father, Gertrude repeatedly hit Sylvia across the back and the head assuming Sylvia was lying and intended to keep the money for herself. But those who knew Sylvia said that she was not selfish at all and would have always given to others before herself. When Gertrude became too weak from spanking Sylvia, she would hand the paddle to Paula. The abuse increased in frequency and severity. Because Jenny had her polio injury, Sylvia would take punishment for her, and by August of 1965, Gertrude concentrated her outbursts only on Sylvia. Paula and Stephanie 
told Gertrude Sylvia was bragging about having a boyfriend, and when confronted, Sylvia admitted she had a boyfriend in California who she had met while working the carnivals. And Gertrude and her daughter Paula repeatedly kicked Sylvia in her vaginal area and accused her of being pregnant. Not only was she was she subjected to beatings, but Gertrude also started abusing Sylvia with food. When Sylvia was able to um, was able to leave the house, Sylvia began to forage for food in dumpsters. And when Gertrude caught Sylvia, she, Paula, and a neighbor, a teenager named Randy, forced her to eat rotten food. And when Sylvia threw up the food, they made her eat the vomits. The girls returned to school in the fall. Paula and Stephanie told Gertrude that Sylvia was spreading rumors at school that Paula and Stephanie were prostitutes. Gertrude reprimanded Sylvia and Jenny in front of her own children as well as their friends. She would do it, you know, outside in front of the neighbors and basically anywhere. Uh, Stephanie would snicker as Gertrude taunted Sylvia by calling her filthy names. Gertrude accused Sylvia of stealing gym clothes one time, but they were Sylvia's clothes from the pre previous school year. As punishment, she burnt Sylvia's fingertips with a lit match, saying that she hated Sylvia and how she was ruining her life. At some point, the accusations mostly turned to Sylvia's alleged promiscuity. Sylvia rep repeatedly told Gertrude that she had never been with a boy in that way, but Gertrude would accuse her of lying and would sexually assault her with bottles and other items. Sylvia's parents were in town and checked in on their daughters on October 5th. Sylvia and Jenny didn't tell of the abuse, probably because they were afraid of making it worse if they had to stay in that house longer. The day after her parents' visit, Gertrude called the school saying that she was really concerned because Sylvia had no interest in going to school anymore. Sylvia was kept in a cold concrete basement. Stephanie's 15-year-old boyfriend, Coy, became one of Sylvia's primary attackers. He would body slam Sylvia forcefully onto the concrete floor. Kids from school and the neighborhood would come and visit the residence and participate in Sylvia's torture, with Gertrude coaching them and paying them one or two dollars to abuse Sylvia. Nothing was off limits. If they wanted to practice judo, they would practice on Sylvia. If they wanted to put out their cigarettes, they would put them out on Sylvia's skin. They would bathe Sylvia in scalding hot water until her skin blistered. One time Paula was beating Sylvia and broke her wrist. Once she had a cast on her wrist, she continued to beat Sylvia with the cast. Paula apparently told the doctor how she broke her wrist, saying that they had a girl staying with um, them who she beat up and that's how she broke her arm. And the doctor didn't look into it, didn't report it, nothing.
One time Gertrude was, uh, she used a needle to carve letters into Sylvia's abdomen. She encouraged her 15-year-old neighbor, Richard, to complete the task because she got tired. They etched, I am a prostitute and proud of it, onto Sylvia's body. Sylvia started to lose control of her bodily fluids and her limbs. She couldn't stand, she could barely sit up. Uh, One day, Gertrude permitted Sylvia to sleep on the mattress in the upstairs bedroom. After giving her a lukewarm bath, um, she was condemned back to the basement and was forced to write a letter to her parents. And this is a small part of the letter. I went with a gang of boys in the middle of the night and they said that they would pay me if I would give them something. So I got into the car and they got what they wanted. And when they finished, they beat me up and left sores on my, ba- on my face and all over my body. That was just a snippet of what the letter said. Apparently it was like a two page letter or something. <clears throat> um, in a last, last ditch effort, Sylvia tried to run away, but Gertrude caught her and dragged her inside. Gertrude struck Sylvia's face with a curtain rod Her son, John, tied Sylvia's wrists to the basement railing. Her toes barely touched the ground. Gertrude shoved crackers into Sylvia's parched mouth and then punched Sylvia in her belly. John force-fed the contents of baby Denny's diaper as well as her own feces to Sylvia. Gertrude, Cody, and John beat Sylvia until she lost consciousness. Then Gertrude would stomp on her head. When she came to, she gathered up enough strength to bang on the basement floors and the walls, hoping that someone from outside would hear her, but no one came. Um, I'm not sure when, when this took place, but one time a neighbor heard screaming and reported it to the police. And again, I'm not sure if it was the police or child protection services, but someone showed up at Gertrude's door saying that a neighborhood's screaming. And Gertrude told them about Sylvia running away with the boys, and then she came back all beat up and would have nightmares and would wake up screaming. Uh, But nobody actually checked on Sylvia that day. They just took Gertrude's word for it. Many times during a beating, Sylvia would lose consciousness and Gertrude would say she was faking and then they would beat her even more or put her in a bath of hot scalding water until she came to and then they would continue to beat her. On the morning of October 26 of 1965, after a beating, Gertrude and Stephanie bathed Sylvia in the usual scalding hot water, but Sylvia wasn't breathing. Gertrude insisted Sylvia was faking, and they continued to beat her and bathe her in that hot water, but Sylvia never started breathing. Stephanie apparently tried to revive her with CPR. Gertrude placed Sylvia on a mattress and instructed Richard to call the police. Gertrude handed the 
police Sylvia's letter. Uh, she told them that Sylvia ran away re- recently and returned injured, clutching the note. When the paramedics and the police arrived, they noticed that Sylvia's lips were practically chewed through. All 10 of her fingernails were bent backwards or were broken. Uh, she had hundreds of wounds on her skin, all of them in different stages of healing, suggesting ongoing trauma, which didn't coincide with what Gertrude was saying. The police took the children of the household into another room and asked again what really happened. Jenny whispered into an officer's ear, get me out of here and I'll tell you everything. Jenny was removed from the house and she told the police of the horrific things that happened. When the autopsy was performed, the cause of death death was listed as torture. Gertrude was convicted of first-degree murder. Paula was convicted of second-degree murder. They each received a life sentence, but after a second trial, I'm not sure why, but there was a second trial, Paula pled down to manslaughter and was released after two years. Gertrude was paroled in 1985. She claimed she had no memory of her actions during that time, and she died four years later of lung cancer. Paula moved to Iowa, where she changed her name and got a job at an an elementary school. Stephanie married. She had several children and became a school teacher. Richard, Coy, and Gertrude's son, John, were convicted of manslaughter. They all received prison terms of 2 to 21 years, of which they all served two years. Richard died of cancer at the age of 21. Baby Denny was adopted into a new family, as was the daughter Paula was pregnant with during the crime. Um, Jenny, Sylvia's sister, married and had children of her own. She lived long enough to read Gertrude's obituary, which she mailed to her mother with a letter that read, Some good news, damn old Gertrude is dead. I'm so happy about that. The house sat empty for decades before it was demolished. It's now a church parking lot. A memorial dedicated to Sylvia's memory stands in Willard Park, where Sylvia used to play. So in this podcast, I like to find out why the person did these horrible things. And in this case, Gertrude, although it may sound so petty, I just, I think it was jealousy. Sylvia was young and pretty, virginal, clean, like everything Gertrude used to be and maybe wished that she still was. Maybe in Gertrude's mind, if I can't have that anymore, either can you or you'll never have it. Um, Paula and Stephanie would make up stories saying that Sylvia said this about me, Sylvia said this about us, knowing that she would be abused. You know, why would they make up those stories and tell Gertrude, you know? Maybe the boys noticed Sylvia more than they noticed Paula and Stephanie. Maybe their boyfriends made a remark that Sylvia was pretty. Like, it's just so ridiculous. 
Um, and, you know, Gertrude would manipulate neighbor children and school children to be, to abuse Sylvia and nobody said anything. Like, I can understand the children in the household being afraid to tell because if it's happening to Sylvia, it could happen to me too. But the neighbor kids could have went and told their parents or a teacher or somebody. And I know back then, like in the, in the 60s, it was um, kind of the it's not our business mentality. But today, of course, is much different. And if you see anything or hear anything, tell somebody. Um, you know, I was not, I myself was not brought up in an abusive household, but I've had friends who have. And one friend once said to me that if a neighbor or friend would have called the authorities once or twice, that um, she would have had a completely different upbringing because their father would have gotten the help that he needed or been taken away from that household and the kids would not have been abused by him constantly. Uh, Sylvia and Jenny came to Gertrude's home in July and at first they were treated well. So it's horrifying to think in a short time of three for four months, they tortured her so much that it killed her. Like three to four months. Um, but I've only read good things about um, things that her friends have said about Sylvia. That she was kind and considerate, helpful. Um, she was described as beaming sunshine. So I know that this was a really tough story to go through, but thank you so much for listening.